Welcome to the Upper 90 Football Podcast, providing American coverage and opinions on all things football. I'm Justin Ruderman. And I'm Garrett Post. And today we have a lot of transfer talk to discuss, uh, as well as some M- American games, MLS and US Open Cup. But we will start with the US Open Cup and our game of the week. It was Orlando City hosting Nashville in the US Open Cup quarterfinals. Uh, the first half wasn't necessarily super exciting. Maybe Mukhtar had a chance. He could have finished, or, or Mukhtar passed it to Sapong. It was, uh, could have could have had the chance there, but nothing too much in the first half. In the second half, though, it started early, seven minutes into the second half. It was Nashville's talisman, Hani Mukhtar, getting in behind the uh, Orlando City defense, right in behind Schlegel uh, to get on the end of Muyel's ball in and, Barely got a touch on it, but it's all it needed to put it in the back of the net for a 1-0 Nashville lead. And it looked like Nashville were going to be able to hold on. That was until Schlegel made up for his defensive mistake in the 94th minute, bundling in a a free kick uh, in the box. It was a melee, and he just found a way to put it in the back of the net. Uh, That was, of course, after Sean Davis was sent off for a second yellow uh, pulling back a guy on a, on a counter attack and it went one, one into penalties with no goals scored in extra time. The first penalty was Alex Muyel who got the assist on Hani Mukhtar's goal. He skied it over the bar. Uh, and then the third penalty for Orlando, Andres Pereira was saved by uh, Panicho. So a, a big miss for Perea, which sent it, Past five penalties into the sixth penalty, Facundo Torres uh, scored his for Orlando, and Eric Miller was saved again to the right side by Galese and sent Orlando City into the semifinals. Garrett, after all that craziness, what were your thoughts? I think justice was served. Uh, Orlando probably deserved to win this game despite, you know, trailing for most of the second half and scoring in rather dramatic fashion. But the fact of the matter is that, you know, they had the better of this game overall, 60% possession, 23 shots. Um, You know, I I think at the end they got what they deserved. Um, Obviously Nashville going a man down in extra time doesn't help much, but Yeah, you know, it was a crazy game. That final goal was hilarious just with the fact that Panicho completely missed the free kick in. It it comes off of um, the head of Michelle, the Orlando player, and then goes backwards away from goal. He had no clue what was happening. And it happens to fall right to Schlegel, who, as you said, made up for his mistake, um, sending it all the way through. I mean, just an amazing cup tie. um, and, And, you know, I think, justified our selection of it as game of the week absolutely did garrett uh i was glad it did because in the first half i was a bit worried we weren't gonna have much to talk about that wasn't the case but it does send orlando city uh into the semifinals to host new york red bulls um which is it's gonna be a, a really really good game that one because, you know, you would think it's better for Orlando City to host, but New York have been fantastic on the road, not so not as much at home, uh, which is surprising for, for MLS teams in general. So I think it will be a wild semifinals uh, and finals, and I'm really excited to see who is able to lift the cup this year. 
And then Justin moving over to MLS, there was a game that also could have been selected as game of the week. Obviously we wouldn't have known uh, ahead of time, but this Cincinnati versus New York city game, my goodness, absolute chaos. Cincinnati taking a shock three nil lead within 30 minutes over the defending champions. You heard that right yet. When we had the halftime whistle, Justin, this game was tied. New York City scored in the 45th, the 45th plus two minutes of stoppage and the 45th plus seven minutes of stoppage. And it's 3-3 at half. They then took the lead in the 52nd minute through Gabriel Pereira. But Brenner completed his hat trick in the 70th minute. The game ends 4-4. I mean, MLS at its best. You're absolutely right. And this was my biggest Twitter jinx of all time because when Cincinnati went up 3-0 after 30 minutes, I tweeted out, wow, Cincy are for real. Because we were discussing that last week on the pod. Are Cincy real? Can we consider them you know, able to make these playoffs after having been the worst team in MLS since they have arrived? Um, but it, Brenner with the hat trick, uh, getting man of uh, getting player of the week, excuse me, fantastic for him. This is just an incredible comeback from New York City, and exactly what you say. This is why we love MLS. But New York City, man, I don't know because they still are unable to find a win under their uh, new interim boss, Nick Cushing. Uh, they drew two two with Atlanta, giving up the the lead very late on at home as well later uh, in their in their next game in the next game week this weekend so i just don't know five games with nick cushing if you include the u.s open cup without a win after ronnie dyla you know was high flying it's it's a little bit problematic for for new york city who now sit all the way in fourth place obviously they in the eastern conference they were top of the east when ronnie dyla left so I talked about how I didn't think it was necessarily going to be a big loss for them because I think Nick Cushing's a quality manager, but it's not working out so far, is it? No, I mean, to be fair to them, they have two games in hand on their cross city rivals, if you will, I guess, cross state line rivals, technically in the Red Bulls um, who are on 32 points, but have played two more games than New York city and Montreal who are both tied on 29 points. But yeah, you're right. They are definitely struggling without him. And, and we kind of, figure that there would be some sort of impact, maybe not this much because they do look a bit of a different team, but in terms of Cincinnati, I mean, as much as this game was ridiculous and there's no way they should have blown this three no lead. I still think that they're legit and they can, they can cut it with the best of them and sitting in fifth place in the East right now. Um, you know, I still think they have a very good chance of, of making the playoffs despite um, the, the runs that we expect from Columbus and Iran and Toronto and Columbus are kind of already making that run. But, you know, I think Cincinnati do deserve credit despite blowing this lead for having a really, really good year thus far. And they continued that, you know, getting another point against new England um, you know, recovering on the road at the reigning supporter shield winners. So, um, you know, I, I still think that they'll, they're in, they're in good shape to make the playoffs for the first time in club history. That's a good point you make. They drew with both the MLS Cup reigning champions and the Supporters Shield reigning champions in the same week. So uh, it, it's hard to say that they're they're not for real, but when you are the first team ever to give up a three-goal lead before halftime, it also raises questions. 
And then probably the biggest game of the game week, Justin, was between your LAFC and FC Dallas at the Bank of California Stadium. You were, of course, in attendance covering the game with Area Sports Network. Talk us through what happened. Yeah, absolutely. This was a big one. Obviously, LAFC coming in top of the table. FC Dallas were in uh, fourth place at the time. It was just an incredible performance overall from LAFC, in my opinion. Uh, dominant from early on. FC Dallas were, you know, possessing a little bit at the beginning. Uh, and that was fine with LAFC. Uh, you know, it was a game played in phases and LAFC were willing to sit back and counter at times. Or, or possess at other times. Uh, but Danny Musovsky's first goal was very clinical. I mean, the way that he received the ball, uh, flicked it to Cifuentes, who then drove, you know, 30 yards with the ball and then find, found the perfect pass back to Danny Musovsky, who buried the ball. It was uh, four passes or even three passes from your own end line to scoring the goal at the other side. Ridiculous counterattack there. Uh, and then, of course, the, the Ferreira goal in which he caught Crepeau out, who was, you know, it's a 30-yard free kick. You can't be getting chipped from there. But Marco Farfan faked like he was going to cross it, as, you know, most people would expect from 30 yards out. And Crepeau took a couple steps out. Ferreira chipped him from 30 yards, nicking the bottom of the bar as it went in. Uh, so fantastic goal for him. His 10th of the season, putting him top of the golden boot rankings alone again. Uh, but then it was Chicho Arango on the counterattack again through Carlos Vela with an, a beautiful dink through ball through the two center backs. Uh, Chicho Arango then buried the chance. Uh, and then late on, Apoku put it away by scoring uh, an absolute stunner on his left foot, just burying it into the top left corner, uh, upper 90, if you will. So uh, to me, a, a fantastic performance from LAFC while they didn't have over 50% possession, everything else was uh, completely dominant. The game plan was there. Dallas couldn't really create chances except for long balls. Ariola was completely taken out of the game, basically. Uh, just all over performances. Uh, top, every player rating is going to be at least a seven. And Carlos Vela gets like a nine because of how, how well he played two assists and just ran the entire game. Yeah, big win for LAFC. And then we had some big upsets this week as well. We can start in Seattle where Montreal went in to play the Sounders, who, of course, you know, have been in resurgent form after being able to refocus on the league. Um, and they would take the lead in this game just three minutes in through Jordan Morris. But Mason Toy would not have it. He had a brace. Montreal pick up a shocking win at Lumen Field. Well, this is the question I have for you, Garrett. Is this an upset? Because Montreal going into the game, I believe, were second or something like that. They're sitting third now. I believe they were second at the time. Meanwhile, Seattle were seventh uh, in the West. So it's hard to, for me to look at Seattle versus Montreal and not say it's an upset for Montreal to win, but Montreal are having the better season, right? So I don't know, but it's also obviously Seattle with the CCL, and now they're picking up things afterwards. As far as Mason Toy, I, I have a little bit of a personal connection. Uh, I, I have some friends who are, are very close with him, and it's great for me to see him succeed. So I just love uh, him getting the brace that beats Seattle. In my opinion, it definitely is an upset. I mean, they've played the same amount of games, and Seattle are only three points behind. And then when you look at some of the 
teams that they were putting out at the beginning of the year, it's definitely an upset, especially considering, you know, how difficult it is to win road games in this league. And the fact that Montreal obviously, uh, you know, have to travel quite some way to, to get to Seattle and then knock off a team that just very rarely loses at home. I think it was definitely an upset, but it is a big statement win from Montreal for sure. Uh, third in the East, and they have games in hand on both uh, the Red Bulls and the Union right above them. So, you know, they've been, had a fantastic season. And then when you think about the fact that they're doing this without Mihailovic at the, at the moment, it's very, very impressive. Yeah, exactly. That is the piece. Doing it without Georgie makes it uh, for sure upset uh, for me. And the other upset was Chicago uh, at home, but beating Philadelphia Union, I mean, they're a very poor team sitting at the bottom of the table, basically uh, in the East, whereas Philadelphia are competing for the top of the East and Chicago found a way to get the win through a 68th minute Novato goal. I mean, all I can say is this is MLS. Anybody can beat anybody. And that's what makes it fun. And that's, you know, we were talking about the salary cap and whatnot and, you know, this has been happening a lot. I feel like upsets have been a big story this season and they really are every season. And then, we had another one, which was Vancouver uh, beating your team, LAFC, at home. Obviously, you know, at BC Place, bit of an advantage also, you know, on the turf. And I'm sure LAFC weren't used to that. But it was a Kubas goal in the 89th minute after Elias Sanchez just kind of handed him the ball. And he finds a curler into the near post to beat Crepo. LAFC did not register a single shot on target in this game, Justin. So quite the opposite performance from that resonating win over Dallas. You're absolutely right. I mean, it was a completely different uh, game. LAFC completely shifted formation into a 3-5-2 from their classic 4-3-3. Uh, there was no Carlos Vela. There was no Brian Rodriguez. There was no Diego Palacios. There was no Jose Cifuentes, who had a yellow card suspension. Uh, there was only, what, six players on the LAFC bench. Uh, so it was a depleted squad, a changed squad, all of these things, but regardless, LAFC could not produce any chances. There was no progressive passing at all through the midfield. Um, I, I mean, I can I, I can go on and on about why that is because of Ginella playing the six, was playing the eight when he should play the six, Acosta not being able to progress and things like that. Um, but it, it was very good defensive performance for the most part by LAFC. They didn't really give up chances uh, in that first half. But in the second half, Vancouver wanted it more at home. As you say, Kubas found a way through. I just want to say there's also the piece that LAFC are preparing for El Trafico, right? Uh, and that's part of the reason everyone was out. But uh, Steve Trundle, the head coach, said they were not. that was not the reason for the loss. But obviously, it's going to contribute. And then, Justin, every week we like to discuss what we felt was the goal of the week in MLS. And after, you know, what was a very poor showing last week, the our regularly scheduled League of Bangers service was resumed. So what was your what was your goal of the week? My goal of the week might be a little controversial. First, I wanted to pick Sean Davis, uh, the Nashville goal against Portland. It was a stunning curler, his first goal for Nashville and his first goal in MLS for about five years or something like that. He, I mean, he doesn't score very often, um, but I, I, I have to pick Darwin Quintero. And I know it's going to be controversial because it's not in the corner and it's, it's relatively central to the goal, mm -hmm. but it is a half volley from 20 yards out that he chipped the goalkeeper uh, and was a banger 
and I just I value the the half volley of it. I value the the way that he had to uh, just you know improvise, and he didn't have much time to think as Sean Davis did, or as uh, any uh, who I believe you're going to pick probably as well did. But uh, the improvisation as well, and also I believe Darwin Quintero is one of the most underrated players in all of MLS. So whenever he does something good, I gotta hype it up. I mean, I get why you think that, but it is, you know, literally right down the middle. And if we're talking about chipping the keeper, I was more impressed by Jesus Ferreira's chip of Crepo than oh, this Oh, no, one. that's Crepo's fault. I mean, I, I, mean, I this guess, is not a, but no, this is not that was an incredible, keeper, that was much more precise, though. It was literally off the underside of the bar, like incredible yeah, strike. But it's it, off a free either kick. Way, he, it's, there's no improvisation there. He's it, thinking it, about well, it. He knows oh, exactly. no, it is. No, you think that wasn't – he saw that Crapo bit on the fake, and that's why he shot it. I don't think Ferreira had shot in his the whole, mind the whole the time. The whole plan – oh, I disagree. That was the plan, Marco Farfan. It, fake. it, 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 it doesn't matter because I'm not picking that one anyway. I'm going with Reynoso's stunner at the Dignity Health Sports Park and obviously probably a little bit of bias at – I love seeing bangers get scored on the Galaxy, and they ended up losing this game pretty heavily. But, I mean – Talk about a curler from deep, oh, straight in the corner, unlike Quintero's, and just a gorgeous, gorgeous strike. The shape, literal perfection, pretty much. Uh, so I'm going with Reynoso, but, you know, obviously a lot of other honorable mentions. That Apoku goal was incredible. The precision there off the post and in postage stamp. We also had bangers from Pereira on uh, yeah, Daniel Austin. Pereira. And, yeah, yeah. It's I think most people would choose Pereira. But for me, he, had, he just had so much time to set it up and, and all of that. But it was a stunner from Daniel Pereira. He did, win, he did win the goal of the week for the MLS voting, but likely just because of the swores of uh, Austin FC fans. And while we move to transfers, we can stay within the MLS because a new DP has arrived, or not arrived, but been signed um, by New England Revolution. A replacement for Buxa, who left, obviously, to Lens for a similar price, honestly. Uh, Giacomo Vrioni, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, doing my best, for 4 million euros from Juventus. He has been playing for the Juventus under-23s. Uh, he is a striker, as I said, a replacement for Buxa. But I, we don't know a ton about him, right? He hasn't played a ton for uh, Juventus in the top flight, but for their U23s. So I haven't gotten a ton of ability, options to see him, but 4 million, a nice striker from a top European club could work out very well for the Revs. Yeah, he, he was on loan at WSG Tyrol in, in Austria and banged in a lot of goals there. 19 goals in 28 games last season, which is you know very impressive. And he's only 23. So I think that's really the kind of profile that they were looking for. And, you know, New England have very solid players, but not many of them you would really consider to be young up and coming talents, or at least the ones that they had have now gone. Right. Um, but, you know, I think this could end up being a good signing. Obviously it's, it, it seems a high risk, high reward, but um, they, they've had a good track record in the past with some of these DP signings. Right. When you think about Carlos Hill and, and Buxa, particularly as well at striker was, was very, very good for the club before leaving. So, you know, obviously we don't know too much about this guy. I haven't had a, a chance to, to really see him play, but um, I have a feeling it might be a decent signing. Yep. And then as we get into our transfers, we can talk about some things that actually just happened today. Uh, the first being Christopher Galtier being appointed the new manager at Paris Saint-Germain, uh, Obviously, he won the league with Lille, beating PSG 
who are obviously a bigger club with better players and a lot more money, uh, but he got the job done. Now he's going to go and manage PSG. Garrett, thoughts on this one? You like it? You think he's the right choice? Yeah, I, I do really like it. You know, obviously there were rumors of like Zidane or something who, you know, we know knows how to win a Champions League and that's really what PSG are looking for. But I mean, Gaultier pulled off, you know, an incredible feat with that Lille team beating. When you look at what PSG had and how Lille beat them to that title, it, it really doesn't make any sense. And he turned some of those players just like they were playing out of their mind. Jose Font looks like prime Pepe. It was ridiculous. Anyway, I, I really like the appointment overall. Um, you know, had a, a bit of a off season last year with Nice. And I still don't really understand why he went there in the first place, but I, I think this overall will be a good signing. It's only a two-year deal option to extend if it all goes well. Um, but I, I do believe that it is an upgrade on Pochettino, which is what they needed. Uh, he will be leaving with a, you know, a hefty severance package now as well. But yeah, overall, I think it's a good appointment for PSG. I think you're right that it's probably better than Pochettino, but I think, it's not as good as Zidane or Jose Mourinho, who they're both linked with. Uh, and I think both of them would have been better for PSG because they're top managers who understand how to manage egos and manage the Champions League and things like this. But Galtier is a fantastic uh, tactical manager. He understands how to you know, beat teams that are better than him with less than by playing a better tactical uh, plan you know, and things like this. That's not what PSG need. PSG don't need a tactical genius. They have the best players in the world, arguably, and they are the issue is the egos and managing them and getting them to all work together and produce the best possible output. Is Galtier an ego manager? Is, is he a, a player's manager? I haven't seen any evidence of that. Maybe he is. Maybe it'll work out for PSG. But I think Zidane, Mourinho would have been much better options. See, I disagree with that because... You say they don't need a, a tactician, you know, they need an ego. I, I disagree. Like, obviously, the ego manager could help, but I don't think that was their problem because I look at how they lost in the Champions League and what was their problem. It's not the talent, right? So then if they have the talent, what's the problem? It's that the system Pochettino set them up in, like, it just didn't work. It, it, it did not fit the players that he had. He tried to throw square pegs into round holes. And, you know, playing the, the front three or the midfield the way that it did, like there was not much fluidity, despite the fact that they have, you know, these players that should be able to be so incredibly effective together. So I think if Galtier can figure out how to actually get the best out of this ridiculous squad, because Pochettino did not point blank and simple, then, you know, they could be front runners for the Champions League, just like they were at the beginning of last year before we really realized what their shortcomings would be. And then the other big news starting today is Longley, the, the central defender, obviously, from Barcelona, being loaned to Spurs on a year-long loan. Uh, fee is not, not completely uh, determined yet, but it seems to be somewhere around 5 to $8 million, uh, which is you know logical. I mean, Lukaku's was about €8 million, Euros, if I'm not mistaken, so that's kind of a lot of money. Um, but a good signing for Spurs, they need another center back to partner Romero uh, and become, you know, stronger in that back. I think that's definitely their weakest point. Obviously we're discussing how good their midfield and their attack are. Conte is just building an absolute monster at Spurs this summer, isn't he? Yeah, he really is. And, you know, with Dyer and Davies who, who did well at the back end of last year, for sure. If they really want to get to where they want to be, 
yeah, they're just not going to be quite good enough. And I think Longley and Romero and then whoever ends up playing that third center back spot or if Conte ends up switching formations, which honestly, some people have been predicting. I, I honestly don't think he will. Um, I think this is definitely, honestly, they might even need another center back, but this is some reinforcements that they desperately need. Fits a, a need and, you know, they've already spent a lot of money. So the fact that they can just do this for a loan, see how it goes, not pay too much money out of pocket. I think overall it's a good deal. Yeah. I think you're right as well. And there has just been so much transfer news with regarding the U.S. men's national team and their players this week. And again, one of them was today, and it was probably the biggest news of the week. Tyler Adams is going to Leeds. This, these have been linked for so long. Uh, we thought that, you know, Leeds were in the race a year ago. They wanted him. And they've been after him, but then Jesse Marsh came in and we've heard they ramped up. And then Tyler Adams himself said, well, I haven't heard anything about Leeds and I haven't got, had any contact with them. That was about a month ago, maybe a little bit over. And today we find out he's going to Leeds for 20 million pounds. So, I mean, it kind of shocked me a little bit, but is this a good move for Tyler Adams? Is it a good move for Leeds? <sighs> Uh, honestly, you know, I love Tyler Adams and I think he's a really good player. And I said when they signed Mark Roca that they need someone else to help replace that Calvin Phillips gap, you know, with him having been officially announced as a city player today, actually. Um, and, and I love Tyler Adams. I'm not quite sure if he's going to be able to replace that. Um, obviously, Phillips didn't play that much last year. So I guess the, the shoes needed to be filled, period. And if he can play more games, that will obviously be a benefit. Um, but it, it's definitely going to take some doing for him to come straight into that side and do what Calvin Phillips was able to do. But if any manager is going to get that out of him, it's probably going to be Jesse Marsh. Right. As you say, I mean, turning into USM and TFC at Leeds, isn't it, with now Marsh? And then they've bought two Americans this summer, Aronson and Adams now, for about $50 million total. No small change there. Uh, it's very interesting to see. I think it's obviously he's not the level of Calvin Phillips replacing him at the defensive midfielder position, but he's a quality player. Uh, Marsh knows how he plays, knows his, you know, knows who he is. And so I think he knows exactly what he's getting. Uh, and if Marsh believes that'll work out, I have faith in him. I believe Marsh is a very good manager. However, is he the best passer? Is he exactly what fits into that system? I don't necessarily know. And then a couple other Americans on the move, Justin. Jordan Pifok getting a move to the Bundesliga at Union Berlin. I like this signing a lot. Union Berlin have been a team that have really gotten the most out of players you really wouldn't expect to be at that level. Um, and, you know, they've been in Europe and they've been pretty fantastic. So uh, I like to think that maybe they can really get a tune out of Jordan Pifok, who, you know, obviously this is probably the biggest move of his career going from the Swiss League into a top five league. Um, and, and, you know, presumably being a important piece of Union Berlin's attack. Uh, what do you think on this one? Yeah, I absolutely agree with a fee between six and eight million euros. Uh, I think it's a great move for Jordan Pifak, obviously going from young boys where he shined and now getting into a top five league. And before the World Cup, if he wants to be that number nine, which is still undetermined to me, it could be anybody. If you show yourself this season, uh, leading up to that World Cup, if you're in top form in a top five league, Jordan Pifak could just sneak his way onto that USMNT roster for the World Cup. 
And then the other American on the move was Ethan Horvath going on loan to Luton Town in the championship. Obviously, we talked about how they had acquired Dean Henderson on loan from United. And after Brees Samba leaving and, and then that happening, we, we kind of figured mm, they probably won't keep Horvath around to be their number one. And now he won't even be their number two. But honestly, this is a good thing because he'll be getting um, much more consistent game time back in the championship. And, you know, we've been talking about how all the U.S. keeping options at the moment are backups. So I think it's definitely good that Ethan Horvath will uh, be getting more consistent game time, honestly, than his contemporaries on the USMNT roster. Well, yes, except for the fact that Zach Steffen is also going on loan to Middlesbrough. So it's like the opposite. Turner was the one getting all the starts at New England Revolution. Uh, and then he goes and becomes a backup in the Premier League at Arsenal, whereas the other two big main keepers, Zach Steffen, backup at Manchester City for the past couple of years. Now he goes on loan to Middlesbrough, while Ethan Horvath, who got the move to uh, Nottingham Forest, obviously recently, he was the backup in the Premier League as well. Now he goes to the championship. So what is it? Where does the better position? First of all, is it being a backup in the Premier League at a top club like Matt Turner and Zach Steffen had the ability to? Or is it better to go and get minutes in the championship uh, and hopefully be able to be that USMNT number one going into the World Cup? For me, uh, I I understand going to get minutes, but and especially for Horvath, I think it's a good move. But for Stefan, I think there's there's clubs within the Premier League that he could have gone to and been loaned to this year to play in the Premier League and show his ability at the top level or even in another top five league in the first division. Now, I understand that maybe uh, the Premier League has a little bit more eyes on the championship than they would, uh, you know, Serie A or the Bundesliga. But when uh, Stefan was on loan in the Bundesliga, he did very, very well. And I think it would have, you know, said a little bit more to Berhalter should he have been loaned to, say, the USMNT FC at Leeds uh, and been there number one. And I think it totally could have been a possibility. So I don't think Stefan necessarily needed to go to the championship, but minutes understandable. And, you know, Turner has been starting for the U S men's national team because he's been the one starting at club level. That's no longer the case. Will it change that he's the one starting? Yeah. I mean, it's really just up to whether Burhalter sticks to that philosophy or not. And, you know, if he doesn't, then we might just see his Matt Turner nepotism, if you will, but uh, definitely an interesting discussion that I don't think will be going away anytime soon, Justin. Um, and then a big deal from City actually was we were talking about this guy on a space and whether he would be able to step up this year. But it turns out he's going to Southampton. It is the Academy product, Romeo Lavia, uh, going to Southampton for around 10 to 14 million pounds. But there's a huge uh, buyback clause of 40 million should he kick on and, and see, choose to uh, make that deal and have him come back i mean i think it would take some doing right he would have to be incredible for them to really want to drop that much money on a player that they just let go um what are your thoughts on this one do you think that this is a good move for him in his career and and from city's perspective as well yeah well from city's perspective i mean southampton are just trying to steal everybody aren't they 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 got bazunu uh for a similar price uh, and now they're getting romeo lavia who is, I mean, uh, just an incredible, incredible prospect. One of City's top prospects. And that's what worries me from a City perspective is that we're losing all of our top academy prospects for the most part. Obviously, Cole Palmer is going to be inserted into the team this season and hopefully the same with James McAtee to a lesser degree. But we've now lost Bazuno, Jaden Braff, uh, Lavia, 
Egan Riley went to Burnley uh, on a permanent Tommy Doyle. He's on loan, but we we also don't have him this season. So it's just a losing a lot of Academy prospects. And it's, I mean, look, it's great as far as, you know, the net spend and getting your money back and uh, defeating this idea of, Oh, city just spend too much money and they don't sell. Maybe people don't realize that we sell a ton of Academy prospects because of how good our Academy is. But yeah, we're making at least a hundred million this summer just based off of selling these academy prospects. Now, Romeo Lavia to me is by far the biggest loss that we've had. Uh, I think he is an incredible player. I wish he would have been uh, inserted into the first team as uh, a third st- string defensive midfielder. But I understand that when you bring in Calvin Phillips, you f- maybe feel like you don't need to put a third defensive midfielder in the squad. Uh, I also don't think that the buyback clause is particularly large. I think if you're selling him for 10 to 14 million uh, pounds, that a 40 million pound buyback is not bad, especially when you have a sell on. I think it's a good business logically from Manchester city, but uh, from an emotional perspective, I really did not want to see Romeo Lavia leave. I think he has fantastic potential. I mean, do you think that buyback clause might end up getting activated? I think it has a potential to be activated for sure because Romeo Lavia, I think, is a very, very good player and he's extremely young, obviously. So if he can you know, live up to his potential, then City want to potentially buy him back, right? He's still only 18 years old. You got to think about how much money he's going for at such a young age. Uh, Calvin Phillips is, is 26 years old and going for that 45 million. So if, if you have a... a player who's as good or better than calvin phillips in the future in you know he has a lot of time to get there i think he could absolutely do it and that buyback clause doesn't seem very much especially in five years is 40 million going to seem like a lot with the rising prices every single year no i don't think it will that is a really good point and then also you know southampton obviously not a fantastic team but if there's one thing you can give to them it's that they have been quite good at giving these young players solid minutes and developing them. I think, you know, this is kind of makes me think of their signing of Tino Livermento last summer, right? Who before his injury was fantastic at only 18 years old. Um, And so, you know, from Lavia's perspective, I think this is a good move for him because Southampton have been proven to give players chances. and, And I do think he'll end up playing a good amount this year and could really showcase himself and improve himself rather than, you know, having to play in CDs U23s or play third fiddle to Phillips and Rodri, who are two, you know, premier level CDMs. So as much as, you know, he won't be able to be coached by Pep Guardiola, um, he'll, he'll get more game time and it's probably a good decision from him as well. And Southampton as well. I mean, I touched on it, but they are just loving the Manchester City Academy. They are approaching Joe Shields, who is the basically the head of the Manchester City Academy scouting department. They want him to be their head of first team scouting recruitment uh, at Southampton. So they've been going after him. It's not just players. They're going after everybody within city. Uh, it's, and it's working out well. I think it's going to work out well for them because I thought they were going to get relegated, but not after these signings. And then moving to the other side of Manchester, instead of an outgoing, this is an incoming of a young prospect, Tyrell Malasia from Feyenoord for about 15 to 17 million euros, a new fullback for Manchester United, obviously an area that they have been weak in recently. What do you think about this one, Justin? Look, he's 22 years old, so he's young, he has potential, and he had a good season last season at Feyenoord. However, 
is that really proving a ton? Not to me. I th- just think the hype around the signing is a little bit much. Uh, mm-hmm. I just, and I think that's probably because United fans are starving for a signing. They haven't had anything this entire summer uh, and they're falling behind every other top six club in the Premier League with these signings. So when they finally get somebody, they're very, very hyped. But will this work out? I have no idea. It could, but it, it very well might not. I mean, they paid way more money for Aaron Juan Basaka from a Premier League team already established, and that was a complete disaster. So, do I have tr- faith in the United scouting? Definitely not. But it, could Tyrell Malazia himself work out? Absolutely. And then they have a couple other deals ongoing at the moment. Obviously, you know, Frankie De Jong has been the big speculation and his agent was actually pictured at Carrington earlier today, I believe. But then the deal that seems like it will be done uh, very soon is Christian Eriksen verbally agreeing to join them a big midfield addition. Um, obviously a fantastic player with great pedigree. And I thought he was great at Brentford. Um, but I'm just not quite sure how he fits into their midfield when you have Bruno and then he's not really going to play as like a, an eight or a second six next to De Jong or whoever ends up being there. I, so as much as I think he's a great player, I'm just not quite sure how he fits in at Manchester United. I couldn't agree with you more. I am surprised he went to Manchester United after all the reports that were saying he, he didn't favor a move there, uh, whether it be because of the hospitals in London or whatever else. But <sighs> I just don't get it because they have Bruno at the 10. They have Donny van de Beek, who Fabrizio Romano has reported will be a a big part of the team this coming season, as expected under his former manager, of course. And then you bring in another attacking midfielder. It just seems like a spoil for riches in one position when you need to fill uh, the eight and the six more than you need to fill the 10. Yeah, I mean, Erickson did play in a midfield three as more of an eight in Brentford's team, although, you know, obviously he had more creative responsibilities than defensive for sure. So, I mean, could he end up playing as an eight? Maybe, but that's just not his best position, is it? No, I mean, if they could pull off De Jong and they, you know, put a midfield three of De Jong, Erickson, and Bruno, that's pretty nice, but... It's attacking. It's very attacking. Yeah, and they need way, like De Jong's yeah. not not a six, and that's something that they've been crying out for for a long time. I agree with you, but I think that they lost out on all. I mean, Calvin Phillips and well, Calvin Phillips just rejected them flat out. He didn't want to go to anywhere besides <laughs> City. Um, but Basuma, I mean, Spurs snatched him up for a cheap price. These, some of the best defensive mids are being snatched up. Romeo Lavia, look at Southampton. <laughs> but no, seriously, I, I just they're slow in the transfer market and then they leave themselves with the only uh, top class availability being Declan Rice. If you want to go after Ndidi, maybe that could be potential, but I think he's probably going to be overpriced as is Declan Rice. And then Fulham made their first big splash in the market, getting Portuguese player João Palinha from sporting for a pretty big fee of 22 million euros for a club, the size of Fulham. you know, they've spent big in windows pass when they were promoted and didn't have it work out, but the 26 year old defensive midfielder, they will need him to be really good if they want to have a chance of staying up this year under Marco Silva. But you know, it's that Portuguese connection there. Uh, and honestly, I think Fulham do have a decent chance because Marco Silva has been such a good manager for them thus far, but obviously doing well in the championship and doing well in the Premier League are two very different things, but this signing may help them kind of translate that success into survival. Yeah, it very well might. And at that defensive midfielder position that we continue to discuss, because 
uh, it's very important to have some shielding for your defensive line and some quality defensive shielding because otherwise they're going to get ripped apart as Fulham have in the past. To me, uh, that's going to be very big for them defensively. But as far as staying up, it's always the Mitrovic thing. I mean, this guy tears up the championship and that's how they get back up and he can never perform in the Premier League and that's how they go back down. So as far as staying up, I'm still going to have to say no, but I think it's a good signing for Fulham uh, and obviously a good amount of money for them, but another defensive midfielder off of the market for Manchester United. And then, Justin, we can look at Leeds. Uh, we talked about Tyler Adams, uh, but some more stuff going on. They've signed the winger Luis Sinistera, who had a fantastic year in the Eredivisie last year at Feyenoord, another uh, player who was snatched up from that club, obviously, Malasia being the other one. But a big fee, 30 million euros, and I'm sure this has to do, and the Aronson transfer as well, with the fact that it seems like Rafinha will be leaving imminently, but we still just don't know where. No, we don't know where. I mean, you're absolutely right. That's the only way that they could they would have all this money is uh, they obviously sold Calvin Phillips and then they're going to sell Rafinha. That gives them uh, at least a hundred million to spend plus whatever they would have on top of that just out of pocket. So uh, replacing uh, the positions that they need, I'm very curious to see if Brendan's going to play in that midfield or in that wing position uh, for Leeds. But as far as Rafinha, you're absolutely right, Garrett. We just don't know because at this point, he agreed personal terms with Barcelona weeks ago, and then it looked like Chelsea were going to snatch him up because they agreed, uh, uh, what was it, about 60 million fee for Rafinha with Leeds, and then, uh, but they can't get the personal terms over the line that Barca have gotten. And so Barcelona then made a bid, 50 million plus 10, and Leeds basically said, match Chelsea's offer or you, or you don't get your bid accepted. So one team can get the personal terms, one team can get the bid accepted, but they can't get the opposite. And that just makes it ridiculous to me, especially when Barcelona have their new TV rights deal. They have about 200 million plus to spend uh, to, to rebuild that squad. And they really, really want Rafinha, it seems. Whether they're distracted Lewandowski, I don't know, but just put in the bid and snatch him up. I think he should go to Barcelona. I think he will go to Barcelona. Yeah, I mean, I get that. But for Barcelona, you know, it, it's a lot of money to spend on a player that honestly is not their position of need, especially if they sell Frankie de Jong. And it almost seems like this might be them using the Frankie de Jong money, but they need another midfielder. They need someone to compliment Pedri. Like they can't just sell de Jong and not replace him. That would be an idiotic decision. And they need to get Lewandowski. Personally, I, I think... Rafinha should go to Chelsea. I think he would fit really well uh, in that side. And I feel like they could pay him quite handsomely. And, and I think it's interesting. I'd love to know if the personal terms, like the fact that, that they can't agree personal terms, Chelsea with Rafinha is more that Rafinha just has his heart set on Barcelona or are they not matching the wage? I'm, I'm not quite sure on that, but I mean, this is such quite the transfer saga, right? It seems like it's going uh, this direction or that direction every couple of days, you know, Arsenal were involved at one point. Spurs were involved at one point, but Spurs went and got out a different Brazilian forward, didn't they? Richarlison from my club, Everton, for uh, 50 million pounds initial fee uh, add-ons of up to 10 to make it up to 60. So a similar price as Rafinha. But honestly, in my opinion, I think that this is better for Spurs than if they had gotten Rafinha because Richarlison is more versatile. 
And the fact of the matter is that Spurs already have this front three of Sun Kane Kulusevsky, which was so dangerous, especially during the back half of last season after Kulusevsky joined along with Antonio Conte. And Richarlison can fill in in any of those three spots across that front three, where with Rafinha, I see him as a out and out right winger. And I don't really think he can do much else. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I think that's fair. But I also think that it's a lot of money to spend on somebody who is not going to start. I mean, in my opinion, yeah. Richarlison does not start for Spurs. Uh, you know, the son Kane Kulusevsky is that front three. And I don't think he displaces Kulusevsky at all uh, after that season he's had. Now, we talked about the monster that Conte is building at Spurs. And if you're trying to compete for a title, you need to be spending 50 million on a bench player as City did with Calvin Phillips. But do you think Tottenham Hotspur are at the level that they should be spending 50 million on a bench player yet becomes the question for me. Yeah, I mean, they could use that to get a permanent center back signing rather than just getting a long lay on loan. But I do think Richarlison will get a good amount of matches. You know, they're back in the Champions League. They need to have more than just three quality attackers because Bergvine, Lucas Mora, not really cutting it, are they? If Spurs want to go where they want to go. And, you Bergvine's know, Conte really out to Ajax as well, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. But the point is, you know, they needed a, a fourth option who was really good because you look at it, these other teams, Liverpool have like five, right? City have yep. six or seven. You know, they, they needed a, another player. And I agree it's a lot of money. But the fact of the matter is that since he's so versatile, if any of Son Kane or Kulusevsky are injured or tired, Richarlison can slot seamlessly into pretty much any of those three positions. And so that's why I think it makes sense that if they're going to spend big money on a backup, he is the player that they needed to go get. And, and so it makes sense. And, and obviously from an Everton perspective, it's a huge, huge loss for us, but it is a good amount of money. Hopefully we can smartly reinvest, even though that's something we've been allergic to in recent years, if we're being <laughs> honest. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I think Spurs want to uh, compete at the top level for put themselves in the title race, compete in the Champions League, and you need a, a deep roster to do that. That is what Richie provides. And staying on the topic of wingers in the Premier League, the best winger in the Premier League and in the world, I think, undoubtedly at this point, Mohamed Salah has finally signed a new contract with Liverpool. After they let Mane go, they had to tie down Salah. We said it, and they finally done it. They finally paid the man what he wants, £350,000 a week for the next three years uh, in that extension. Takes him through to, what, 2025, is it? That is incredible business for Liverpool. It just needed to be done. Yes, it's a lot of money, but he is one of the best players in the world and they had to get it done, didn't they? Yeah, and you look at that amount of money and then compare it to other players. You know, you look at Holland, you look at De Bruyne, and it makes sense. I think Salah deserves that kind of money with the performances he's had over the last, you know, four or five years. He's been absolutely unreal um, pretty much his whole time at Liverpool, right? So I think as you said, with, with Mane leaving, they had to get this over the line. And, you know, maybe they coughed up a little more cash than they would have wanted to. But overall, it's definitely a good decision, both for Liverpool and, I think, for Salah, who gets to stay at the club uh, where he's been so, so successful. So you're right. And then, Justin, to finish off our transfer talk, one other big name in the Premier League, probably the biggest name in the Premier League, of course, Cristiano Ronaldo. And there's been some just crazy breaking news. He has asked to leave Manchester United. And I was joking about Todd Bowley discussing 
the possibility of Ronaldo coming to Chelsea with George Mendes last week. And now it might actually be a thing. Like it, it could possibly happen. I mean, this is just a mind boggling course of events. Where do you think Ronaldo will end up going? I don't think he'll go anywhere. If I'm honest, I think he'll stay at Manchester United because I think that uh, I've said it repeatedly uh, on Twitter, on spaces, and I've tweeted it out. I think that Lewandowski is Harry Kane part two. Cristiano Ronaldo is Harry Kane part three. These players all wanted to leave their club. They all had suitors, but the club will not let them leave because they're under contract. And that is the case. I don't think Lewandowski might get to leave if Barca put in a large offer, but nobody's going to put in that type of bid for Ronaldo. And I think, you know, Chelsea are, are one of the few clubs even really interested in him. I just don't see it happening, but all I can say is we need to stop talking about Cristiano Ronaldo as his love for Manchester United or this loyal guy. He is none of these things. He runs from his challenges at Real Madrid, at Juventus, and now he wants to leave Manchester United after saying he's going to you know, bring them back and he loses out, brings them to Europa League immediately and wants to leave immediately. I mean, I think personally, I can't see him going to Chelsea because I do genuinely believe that he wouldn't play for another team in the Premier League. And I do think that because as much as maybe you think he's not as loyal as people like to portray him to be, he's not stupid and he's not going to you know, ruin his legacy at United, just like he would never go to another club in La Liga, in my opinion. You know, maybe Serie A a little different. His relationship with Juventus is not what it is with the United fans and with Real Madrid fans. So I agree. I think he's going to stay where he is, uh, let his contract expire. And then I, I personally, next summer, I think it would be great if he went back to another former club uh, with sporting in Portugal, you know, almost a nightcap to his career. Obviously he has plenty left in the tank, but, you know, getting up there in age, isn't he? But I agree, he'll have another year at United. It's just really, what can Ten Hag get out of him before he inevitably leaves once his contract expires? Well, Napoli are in the race, as you say. They want to get him uh, and bring him back to Serie A, which he would be totally fine with. Uh, yeah, I just I don't, don't see think it. that's ever going to get over the line, but I have yeah. to fully disagree with your statement about him not going to another Premier League club. I mean, yes, I think it's less likely, but he was willing to go to Manchester City. He had no problems with that. So to see that he wouldn't go to an, another club in the Premier League so he wouldn't ruin his, uh, you know, his image at Manchester United is ridiculous when he would go to the biggest rival of Manchester United. I, I mean, you can talk about Liverpool or whatever, but that would be a, a huge shot in the face to, to United fans, as they all said when they thought he was going to Manchester City. Uh, the only reason he didn't, we know, is because Pep Guardiola didn't want him. Manchester City wouldn't put in a bid, but... Cristiano Ronaldo was not against going to City at all. So I don't think that it's, from his mentality perspective, no. Definitely not loyal. Definitely not showing a love for Manchester United and not going to any other club. We can end <laughs> off the episode with our recurring segment. Of course, it is the moment of the week. I'll go ahead and go first, Justin. Mine comes from a game I was actually able to attend yesterday, my first MLS game of the year, and it was my San Jose Earthquakes going up against the Chicago Dumpster Fire. I mean, sorry, the Chicago Fire, who are one of the worst teams in the East, and this was like bottom of the West versus bottom of the East, essentially. But the Quakes ended up 2-1 winners, and my moment of the week comes 
in the second half. It was the opening goal of the game. Benji Kakanovich scoring in what is just the most insane sequence of events you will ever see. I mean, Cross comes in from Paul Marie. Uh, there's a shot by Jamiro Montero, saved by Gaga Slanina. Marcos Lopez, the rebound off the bar, comes to Espinosa. His shot blocked. He gets it back on the rebound, hits the post. And then Kakanovich is there to tap it in. I mean, this goal was going all over Twitter saying FIFA players look away or maybe FIFA is realistic because there's just crazy pinball in the box and it eventually finds its way in. But we were in the stadium. I was standing there. We were like every three seconds like, oh, no, we didn't score. And then somehow it ended. It was just absolutely insane. And uh, one of the most MLS goals I've ever seen in my life. So that was my moment of the week. Justin, what was yours? Yeah, mine had to be uh psg releasing their new kits and it wasn't about psg but it was about the kit because their sleeve sponsor is goat g-o-a-t goat on their sleeve which means Lionel messi the greatest player of all time the football goat will be wearing on his sleeve the word goat for an entire season to me there is nothing more fitting than that in football this season and it had to be my moment of the week I like it. I like it. And then, Justin, uh, game of the week for next week. I, I think it's one you might be a little interested in. I think everyone might be a little bit interested. The The biggest rivalry in MLS, is it? Oh, okay. Mm. A little too controversial there? Mm. I don't care. Mm. El Trafico, Friday night, get ready. It could be the debut of Giorgio Chiellini. It could be the debut of Gareth Bell. We are yet to see, but it will be a massive, massive game at the back Bank of California Stadium. I just, that's, you don't need to say anything about this game. It, it speaks for itself. Every single time these two face off, there is drama. There are goals. It's got to be our game of the week. Yep, and, and hopefully we will see those players make their debuts. Would be pretty fantastic occasion for that, don't you think? But with that, Justin, that does bring this week's episode to a close. Thank you all so much for listening. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at U90Football, that's U90Football, and on Instagram at U90FootballOfficial. We post daily content over there. We do polls. We've been doing spaces. Um, so hopefully more of those this week. Um, it's been really great to be able to talk to a bunch of you guys about all these random issues and, and topics and transfers that we discuss on the podcast. But getting to hear your guys' opinion has been really awesome. So look forward to that. We will see you next week.